The only purpose of the Talking Space podcast is to educate and to inform. The views expressed in this program are the opinions, experiences, and conclusions of the guests. They do not represent the official policy or position of the Space Tweep Society as a whole, NASA, any other space agency, company, contractor, or affiliate. We choose to go to the moon. to another episode of the Talking Space Podcast. This is Talking Space Podcast episode 231 for the week of September 12th, 2010. I'm Sawyer Rosenstein, and joining me tonight is the usual panel of suspects, Gene McCulka. Welcome, Gene. Thank you, Sawyer. Good evening to you. Good evening as well, Mark Ratterman. Hi, everybody. Good to be here. And welcome as well, Gina Hurley. Thank you, Sawyer. I'm glad to be here tonight. Always glad to have you with us. Let's get right into things with our first story, which is the current progression of STS-133, the final scheduled flight of the Space Shuttle Discovery. The Space Shuttle has been rolled out from its little OPF, Orbiter Processing Facility, to the Vehicle Assembly Building, where it has been placed into a vertical position and attached to its external fuel tank and two solid rocket boosters. Unfortunately, it didn't all go according to plan with the dropped bolt that caused a slight delay, but rollout is still scheduled for September 20th, 2010. Any comments on STS-133? Yeah, well, it's just one. It wasn't just the, the bolt that kind of messed us up a little, little bit either. There was a little bit of a water main break at KSC. Um, I believe that happened uh, Tuesday, uh, Tuesday evening. The date of their intent of their original rollout from the OPF to the VAB. Right, and um, I'm, according to uh, an article by uh, NASASpaceflight.com, um, and I'll quote directly: a 24-inch water main along the Saturn causeway ruptured, which you know basically shut down um, all work uh, there. All water pressure um, was lost apparently at some of the uh, the facilities at KSC and of and also in the uh, in the Pad 39A area, and um, it basically shut everything down. So um, we had that plus the the little drop bolt problem that was solved. I believe the whole process of mating the the uh, order to the external tank takes a couple of days or three days or something like that. At least that's what I've read from. Uh, reading uh, nasaspaceflight.com anyway and uh, uh, it's almost though as, as you know the only thing I, I thought about hearing all of this was uh, I was reflecting back on the preparations for SDS-132 and uh, also Atlantis had a little bit of a delay getting out of the OPF if I recall and I remember uh, Bob Perlman uh of uh, collectspace.com sort of making a comment that it was almost that you know, it was almost 
as if Atlantis knew this was her last flight and she was just trying to say, no, I don't want to. You know, she was being very, very reluctant about it. Well, one can say the same thing about Discovery here, uh, that she too was just sort of being you know, very, very reluctant about going in over there for the last time and uh, didn't really want to go. But here we are. Um, hopefully the, the flow will go exceptionally well and everything will uh, will uh, will go the way way of a launch on uh, November 1st as planned. Indeed. Now, the crew of STS-133, some cool little facts about them. There are six of them. The commander is Stephen Lindsay, who gave up his position as head of the astronaut corps and handed it over to Peggy Whitson so that he could actually be the commander of this flight. And it's now his fifth flight, by the way. And for the first time ever, two crew members were chosen for this mission while they were still in space. And that was Nicole Stott and Mike Barrett while they were on the ISS for Expedition 20. Now, it's currently listed as six astronauts on the crew. But there is a seventh on board, and that is Robonaut 2, which is technically part of their payload. Does anybody want to give us a little bit of insight on STS-133's seventh member? Robonaut 2 is is actually a, 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 a sort of a, a joint project between NASA and General Motors. Uh, GM you know, started developing robotics to try to go ahead and build vehicles, uh, sort of relieving workers of rather you know repetitious you know putting bolt A into groove B type stuff. And uh, G, um, NASA, of course, wanting to build better robots to go other places and, and it's a, sort of a, 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 the perfect marriage um, and uh, lo and behold uh, Robonaut 2 is essentially the the, the, uh, the culmination of all this what it will do is hopefully relieve um, some uh, once it gets, gets settled on the ISS it will go ahead and uh, do maintenance chores on board the uh, outside the ISS and uh, hopefully alleviate any you know need for going EVA and uh, you know running the risk of having an astronaut out there on EVA. So you know it, it's a fairly good test of concept as far as uh, what it what it could do. It's, it's very dexterous too. The, I believe there's a few uh, uh, films on uh, on YouTube that show this thing you know grabbing wrenches and and using. Uh, using drills and so on, um, so it, it's got a very good, uh, uh, very good dexterous ability. Uh, it's, it's quite remarkable. Also, I, uh, there's a one of the YouTube videos I saw had this thing lifting a 20-pound weight with with no problem, which which kind of opened my eyes a little bit. I'm kind of wondering how you know what what its lifting capacity really really is. So. Uh, that's one thing, but there's another offshoot to Robonaut 2 that NASA is looking at, and I will underline this in red. This is not funded yet, uh, and it might be part of the new technologies uh, deal uh, under the 2011 budget. I'm not sure, um, but don't quote me on that. But it uh, <clears throat> It's a little project called Project M, which essentially is putting a Robonaut 2 um, with, with, you know, with legs on the moon. 
Um, the whole idea is to go ahead and use this thing as a, as a human surrogate to try to explore the lunar, lunar surface. Uh, they're hoping to launch this thing by July of 2013. And uh, again, there's some very interesting um, YouTube videos out there that I would suggest that you go ahead and take a look at uh, that sort of describe what Project M is all about. We'll see how it all works out. But again, Robonaut 2 will go ahead and really, really, I think, alleviate some problems. One has to wonder if it could, could have been utilized, um, if Robonaut 2 could have been utilized in conjunction with uh, um, the issue we had this past summer with the, uh, the uh, ammonia pump problem. And could Robonaut 2 have been used to go ahead and alleviate some of the problems with that? But would it be able to get the part that was stuck, would it be able to do that on its own? Because I know they wouldn't have the issue of, you know, the contamination, but would it be strong enough to break that seal? Uh, good question. Uh, don't know, but I'm sure it might have been able to go ahead and do some of the prep work. Because I don't know how much it can, you know, carry, how much weight it has, how much torque it has. Right, so. neither do I. I'm not, I'm not all that knowledgeable, but I can find out. Um, That's the beauty of the internet. Yeah, so um, what we what one can do though with Robonaut two is go ahead and do some of the, the you know the get ahead tasks like you know remove uh, it could have removed all the data um, you know the data clamps to it and all the other other uh, uh, extraneous bolts that needed to be removed and uh, it might have been a get ahead task for uh, for the EVA. I'm not saying it would have replaced. Um, the two astronauts completely, but it may have helped in preparing uh, the EVA and made things go a lot, uh, you know, just a little bit faster. All right, so I believe with that, while we're talking about its possible use on the ISS, let's talk a little about the ISS. Today, September 12th at 7.58 a.m. Eastern Time, a Progress resupply ship docked with the International Space Station. So today, the astronauts aboard had some fresh fruit. And also, this is very interesting. For the first time, there are currently two Progress ships and two Soyuz rockets aboard the International Space Station. So it's the first time that there are four Russian rockets docked to the International Space Station at one time. Any comments on that? Four words. Get used to it. <laughs> How about... Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the wave of the future, guys. I mean, like it or not, um, the shuttle is going away. And the Russians are going to be taking over the lion's share of a lot of this until we get our act together with either commercial or um, or with, with, with Orion, whatever its, its ultimate configuration is going to be. So um, we'll just... Stay tuned, see how that goes. But yeah, the Russians are going to be taking the lead on that. So guys, get used to it. How many different craft can be um, docked to the ISS at one time? How many docking? I'd imagine five or six, because I know there's four now. The shuttle. Yep. And doesn't the shuttle have two docking ports on there now? or? Yeah, I think so. So I'm guessing that would be six then. Six, yep. okay. Now, I don't mind getting used to these rockets, because one of my favorite rockets is the Soyuz. You know why? It has the same name as me. Uh, can I? A Soyuz um, rocket. 
get it? Because okay. I'm Sawyer and it's Sawyer's I'm, rocket. I'm looking for something to throw. Hold on. Oh, not a tribble. Please, not a tribble. <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, go back two or three episodes and you'll see. Exactly I can arrange what. that. <laughs> I can arrange that. Thanks. <laughs> anyway. Now, there's one more very interesting ISS story that I'm going to let Mark tell you a little bit about it. Because this one, I can't even put into words. I think he'll be able to put it better. Because it's quite interesting of a possibility with the ISS. So, Mark, do you want to take this story? Sure. Plus, I get to throw out a bunch of abbreviations, which, uh, you know, working for the F-A-A-T-O and being an ATSS, I'm qualified to do. Oh, and anyway, Yeah. But um, from uh, Kennedy was shipped an ORU, which is an orbital replacement unit. Uh, they're, they're an unpressurized uh, cargo container, essentially, for parts going up to the ISS. Well, this time, let's call it a, um, an all-aboard, because I believe the trip that these parts are taking, take them from the Kennedy Space Center kind of an all-aboard thing. It goes to Orlando, Atlanta, Chicago, and then to Narita, Japan, Kagoshima Port in Japan, and then they finally get loaded on a ferry for transport to the launch complex on uh, Tagashima Island, about 35 miles off the coast. And that is where their space center is, where they'll be launching their their cargo supply later on. But... uh, by way of trivia, the parts themselves are one of the parts that got my attention, and I did a little looking into it as to what's this all about. I guess the uh, the headline part is a flex hose rotary coupler, an FHRC in NASA speak. And uh, the flex hose rotary coupler is a part that's used in the coolant loops for the ISS. Coolant loops is in ammonia is in the pump that was replaced recently. And in, you know, getting curious, okay, what's this all about? How does this work? The uh, radiators that uh, I've sort of suspected that's what they were, but never really grasped it, but they're on a truss that uh, each, each, I think there's two of these, and each of them has three radiators that extend up. There's eight panels on each radiator, and they actually take uh, ammonia that's warm, send it out the radiator, cool it down. It's designed for a minimum temperature of minus 40 degrees Fahrenheit and uh, bring it back to the the units, and I won't try and go into that by any means, but go back to the units that require this, this coolant. Um, but anyway, the pump module that was replaced is working through this flex... Uh, boy, and I lost the acronym just that, just that quick. The... Uh, flex hose rotary coupler which has four what it's designed it's a it's a it's a rotating coupling between the part that is on the station that does not move and the part that the radiators are on that does rotate and so this is a a rotating liquid coupling there's two couplings going outboard to the radiators and two coming back so there's four liquid joints essentially through this rotary coupler that uh, are essential for the transport of the ammonia through the system and 
uh, here they are. They've got a spare. They're going to send it up. And, you know, <laughs> I can't imagine how complex this piece of white hardware is. But uh, seeing some things that at least follow the definition of a rotary rotary type device, uh, for instance, radar antennas that you see at airports, they have a rotary joint that that couples a, a number of different signals from the base of the antenna to the antenna itself, and those things wear out. Of course, we're dealing with with you know ground bound uh, aviation spec hardware, which they spend a fortune on. And this is a whole nother class or two or, or ten times, you know, more, um, I guess, sophisticated and elaborate and engineered. So I'm sure this will be better. But again, it just points out to me, here's a, a part going to Japan, getting ready to, to ship along with other parts. It's not the only part that's in these orbital uh, replacement units that are being sent. But uh, it's another key thing, another critical component for the ISS. And if you were to lose one of these flex hose rotary couplers, you would lose the coolant loop, just like you would when we lost the the ISS lost the pump not too long ago. So it it really the more I looked into it, the more I realized the International Space Station is an incredible, incredibly complicated combination of systems, and uh, I I do not envy the uh, astronauts, cosmonauts. The task of, of, you know, trying to learn all of the key things that they need to have, you know, knowledge of on board, uh, you know, much less the communications that are required between themselves and their various uh, mission control sites to communicate with them the things that they see and maybe troubleshooting or maintenance instructions. It's a complicated business. It really is. And uh, hats off. I now feel very dumb after listening to that. That was really eloquent. Thanks. And unfortunately, I have a feeling it's something that we're going to have to get used to of basically everyone else taking up our stuff. There's no more shuttle. Yeah. Well, this was a uh, 19-page PDF that I was scanning through. And uh, it's the Active Thermal Control System. And when I realized I was just reading a summary just to... You know, uh, just at a glimpse description of these systems, (laughs) and I realized how uh, how complex it was, and that this is just one small part of the ISS. Oh, by the way, the ammonia coolant. This is something I got curious about. What's the pressure that these flex hose rotary couplers have to uh, to carry? And of course, I don't know where pressures would be at different points in the system, but I read that. at the pump inlet, the uh, normal operating pressure at the pump inlet is 300 psia, which is uh, pounds per square inch uh, measured relative to a vacuum. And 300 psia is a well, it's more than my bicycle tire will hold. It sounds like pounds per square inch measured in Canada. A. A. <laughs> Oh, we got to do something with you, so we're gonna have to send you to joke school. I know the oh, last no, wait a three minute. shows you haven't been able to stop me. I think we need to send you to unjoke school. No, oh, that's so not funny. Get it? Not negates the un. Uh huh. Takes us back to Double zero. Negatives. 
don't make me sick my tribble after you. Alrighty. Who's, who's next? This is a good time to change the subject. Yeah, let's continue on to our next topic. And we move from space flight to space policy. And uh, Congressman Gordon actually made some interesting comments. Mark, do you want to tell us a little bit more about them? Unfortunately, no acronyms, but... Yeah, darn. This is just regular uh, regular speak type stuff, uh, such as it is. But um, I'm going to go to the end. You know how you, sometimes you go to the, uh, the, the back of the book to, if you got a question and answer thing, you want to find the answers in the back. Or maybe you just jump to the back of the book to see how it ends, to see if you want to read the whole thing. Well, here at the end of Bart Gordon's letter, he says, in the end, we all believe it's critical to have a fiscally responsible, sustainable, and executable program for NASA. We don't want to find ourselves in a few years in the same situation where we need a lengthy review and a commission to help rectify the fact that we've been giving NASA more mission than money. And, uh, yeah, in the end, you know, you got to wonder, is history going to repeat itself, repeat itself, repeat itself, repeat itself? And I'll open it up to comments from everybody else. Unfortunately, I think we may be in the same ball. According to um, the basically the, the whole gist of the article, Mark, and, and forgive me if I'm if I'm wrong, is is uh, Congressman Gordon um, from uh, again Democrat from Tennessee is saying that the Obama uh, space policy, as as he has articulated it, is also unsustainable. Uh, because um, of several things. One was the inclusion of the re-inclusion of the Orion spacecraft, either in a full-up mode or in a uh, the, the original rescue mode that, that he was referring to. Um, that was unbudgeted in in this in this new plan. So it's like, okay, where's that money going to come from? So that was just one little little item in here but he th- this was uh if if i'm not mistaken mark this was sort of a follow-up to um to scott hubbard's letter um that we had mentioned last week if i'm not mistaken um with reference to which is which was also signed by about uh, a whole bunch of scientists and nobel laureates and so on saying that you know we, we should we should approve uh the president's uh, the, the president's plan as is, if I'm if I if I recall, and somebody if I'm wrong, correct me on that. No, you're you're right. In fact, the letter that uh, that we're reading copy of was addressed to Professor Hubbard, and it's from uh, Bart Gordon. Right, and I'm going to read from one point that 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 just really really snapped me out of my um, out of my sleep. Here was was uh, quote. Uh, basically, he, he was talking about the review process that uh, his committee had done, and I'll quote directly here. He says, quote, reluctantly, the committee came to the conclusion that the president's new human spaceflight program, much like the current Constellation program, is unexecutable under the current budget projections, and the other NASA priorities we, we agree must be addressed. This conclusion was not reached in haste, but was based on several months of hearings from expert witnesses. Moreover, the committee received a letter, and he attaches the letter here, earlier this year from the Aerospace Corporation in response to questions submitted by uh, subcommittee chairwoman Gabrielle Giffords. 
that raised concerns about the assumptions made to justify the president's budget request. Um, I think he's he's essentially saying, look, you know, we realize we've got to go some, into another direction here, but let's make sure we're going in the right direction. And I think the key word is sustainability. Um, the 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 hat. I don't know if, if the cap has been placed at 19 billion dollars or not, but he's saying that, you know, for the past few years we've been trying to, you know, stuff, you know five pounds worth of potatoes in a two pound bag and we can't do that anymore and we've got to figure out what we can do with the money we have and not go ahead and, and overtask NASA with too many goals that it just can't reach because of funds so I, I think that's what he's saying he's saying look you know we're both on the same side of sustainability but you know, let, let's let's keep it at sustain. Let, let's figure out what we can do with the money we've got, or the money that's being allocated. And in uh, Congressman Gordon's view, the uh, uh, the Obama plan, as articulated, is unsustainable, which was the same complaint as Constellation. So, Mark, unfortunately, we may be setting ourselves up for another fall according to to, to, uh, to Congressman Gordon. Yeah, I read in another place that you uh, you highlighted for me that uh, mentioned that the American public is largely unaware that the, U- the U.S. space program faces such a formidable challenge. And I think that's 100% true. I doubt people, I think people can appreciate value that, uh, that the space program brings, but they see it in in small pieces here and there, and and don't <laughs> don't appreciate how the dollars add up, and uh, and where the dollars disappear when they have to be rebudgeted and money reassigned. Yeah, um, I um, I agree. The 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 comment that you uh, you were making, Mark, um, this is this goes hand in hand with a uh, article that was. Um, from the the hill.com and this is in the congressional blog and after reading this particular article entitled uh, space exploration remains a vital issue given the country's economic woes it's by Marion Blakely and dated uh, September 8th um, it, it basically says you know the, the you if you, you know, walk outside the door and ask you know does anybody even know that the shuttle is being discontinued um, the answer is probably not. If, if people haven't been watching this, because I have, I've come across people, and I've, I've basically said that you know the orbiter is going away, and and they're like, you're kidding, and I'm like, well, yeah, well, we've been talking, you know, that's that's been you know a given since 2004. Um, but it it also goes into some other detail on how. You know, given the fact that right now the economy is, well, you know, for lack of a better phrase, in the toilet, um, why should anybody care about about space flight at all? You know, and the article goes on, and I'll quote directly from it: um, Our space programs are an integral part of our aerospace and defense industries that employ uh, eight hundred nineteen thousand thousand workers and uh, indirectly supports 30,000 suppliers and 2 million middle-class jobs across all 50 states. Hmm, well, okay. 
imagine that. Uh, it goes ahead, states that manufacturing trade is, are also impact. About aerospace companies, quote, export 40% uh, of their total output and routinely post the nation's largest manufacturing trade surplus, which was over $56 billion in 2009. Um, also, says the national security implications are here. Uh, they require most of these, and to quote again, most of these jobs must remain on American soil. Um, even space has a role to play in whether your, your eggs are safe to eat. Uh, research on the International Space Station is resulting in breakthroughs that could soon lead to salmonella vaccines. So it goes on and on and on. Um, but uh, it asks the question, well, are, is, is the country going to rise to the challenge and maintain its preeminence in space or let the program you know, sort of drift along into what they're quote and what they're saying irrelevancy or or what I just say you know into you know don't careism, um, and it's essentially putting a challenge to Congress, basically saying you know you pass the button, pass the budget, or figure out what we're doing here. And uh, uh, I, I guess the whole point is, I after reading this article, I said, well, welcome to the party. I mean, this is stuff that we have been saying on this show for quite some time. Every member of this, every member of the show has been saying it. How vital the space program is is to, to the national economy, and in this, and what an economic engine space really is, and uh, why it should be supported, especially right now in, in a down in a down economy. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure every, every and, and each one of us have said that over and over again. So I'm glad somebody, you know, within Congress or at least that writes for a congressional blog that congressmen sort of pay attention to is saying, hey, guys, yo, let's let's wake up or we're going to lose this national national resource. Yeah, time time gets short on this one because uh, the further we go. Uh, I see this in uh, the agency I work for, where oftentimes we go through the majority of a fiscal year not having a final budget that you can count on. And uh, it's difficult to run a business when you really don't know what you've got to spend. <laughs> and here here we are with, with NASA, with programs and, and plans that take years to, uh, you know, to to bring along to the point where you're seeing the, the fruit on the tree and uh, and pretty much, you know, stating that, well, you know, you've got a budget, but uh, we'll get the details to you later. Yeah, yeah, again, Mark, you know, you hit it right on, too. The other thing, too, is, is we, we have this, this weird thing where we have a change of administration every eight years. And as we just saw with the, the shift from, from Bush to, to Obama, a president wants to go ahead and put his signature or her signature on, on this plan, on, on everything. And one, once again... You know we're we're sort of re, you know sort of reinventing the wheel again, and just sort of throwing the whole thing into chaos. Now, grant you, constellation was hurting, 
Um, the Augustine Commission even said so. It would take about $3 billion, they think, to, they thought at that time, to go ahead and fix it. But um, again, the, the president's decided to take us in a whole new direction and wants to go ahead and put his, his signature on, on the space program. So even though that stuff has already been developed for the old program, it's probably going to be have to figure out a way to integrate it into the new one and, and move on. But it, it's tough to go ahead and have something that's, that's a slow, sustainable program when you have, have our system that goes ahead and changes leadership every eight years. So it, it's, it's difficult. So you have to figure out a way around it. And that's, that's the challenge. Now, didn't somebody else lay down some interesting comments on his opinion, possibly a former NASA administrator? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, former NASA administrator Michael Griffin uh, made a speech to the National Space Association uh, earlier, I guess, uh, I guess it was Thursday or Wednesday of this week. Um, he it was essentially blasting... Um, the Obama plan again and basically called on Congress to go ahead and establish what he calls a clear statement quote close quote he is basically saying that okay the administration seems to be sort of floundering on this it looks like Congress is going to have to take point on this because the executive branch is just not getting it done so um, you know, Congress. It's going to be up to Congress to go ahead and settle this this problem. Also, um, he, I believe in another during the speech, or, or or perhaps during during some other point during the week, uh, he had also mentioned too that um, somebody mentioned the the letter, uh, the Scott Hubbard letter, where you know we had uh, some rather illustrious individuals signing that that note. Uh, Nobel laureates, former astronauts, things like that. Um, Michael Griffin said, well, of course, you're going to go ahead and have those individuals who are in university situations now um, hoping that this all works out under the Obama administration's plan because it relies heavy on research and doing basic research for you know, certain programs and so on. Um, most of the universities would be going ahead and being, would, would be the recipients of that money that would be coming from NASA to go ahead and conduct all the basic research. So, you know, again, he's saying, yeah, of course the universities are going to want this because they're going to get money out of the deal. So, you know, that, that's, that's, that's uh, Dr. Griffin's rebuttal to that. Um, again, th this is coming from uh, articles uh, on uh, September 9th, um, posted on uh, al.com or alabama.com, um, and uh, you know, we'll, again, we'll post the, these both of, both of the articles that we're referring to up. But uh, uh, Michael Griffin still had some very very harsh words about uh, about losing Constellation and uh, and about uh, about the new plan. I got a question about Mike Griffin, and he's spoken several times, you know, in this uh, on this subject. Um, just, you know, uh, opinions. 
You think it's sour grapes? And by that I mean uh, uh, leaving NASA's administrator and during the change of administration. I don't think it's sour grapes. I think it could be potentially a little bit of uh, ego legacy more than sour grapes. I agree. I think he kind of, you know, thinks of himself as the administrator that, you know, kept the shuttle program alive and as long as he possibly could. I I don't know. I I don't think it's sour grapes. I think it's just a matter of, you know, like Gina was saying, he's the administrator. <laughs> and did some good things with Constellation the best he could. True. He took what he had and he worked with it. Yeah. And let's not forget he was responsible for making sure STS-125, the hollow repair mission, happened. Yes. Thought I'd throw that out there. Hey, Gina, can you can you expand on that a little bit as far as not being sour grapes? I'm just curious what your, what your thoughts were. Not being sour grapes? Yeah. Well, that, that, I don't know. I I think um, I think he looks upon his time at NASA. You know, his. I mean, Orion and Constellation. I believe, and maybe I have my facts wrong from exactly where and exactly how they originated. But building that program up to what Obama has just dismantled, I think, is his legacy. I mean, he was not there for the beginning of shuttle. He was not even there at the. Columbia tragedy that was Sean O'Keefe and I think um, you know he sort of came into transition shuttle on to the next thing which was Orion and Constellation and um, you know all the work that he's done that's his entire legacy and perhaps ego I I don't know him personally but I think um, I think it's a hard thing to swallow that five, six years perhaps has just gone down the drain of everything he's tried to champion. And when he truly believed he was right in the direction NASA was going, I mean, before Obama had um, named his replacement, I mean, there was a huge movement inside NASA and inside NASA's contractors to keep him in place. Um, I think they had a little, we love Mike or we like Mike kind of, rally going and internal memos going around. So, um, you know, I don't think he stopped it, which is why I I have a sense that perhaps there's a little ego to play with in there. But that's just my own personal opinion. I think Constellation, even though it wasn't his critter, you know, on the outset, it was still... Um, he, he kind of adopted it, and now it's it's essentially dead for you know for um, practical purposes. Uh, and yeah, I think maybe I don't know if it's ego, but maybe he really did feel that this was the right thing for the United States to do was to go back to the moon and this time to set up shop there, not just not just to be temporary explorers. Um, and that dream is essentially on hold, at least for a little while. And uh, uh, maybe, maybe he still he really really wants to champion that, and he really honestly feels that that should have been the direction that the U.S. should have gone to, gone to, and not this. So, 
I'm again I'm just playing devil's advocate. Right. I mean that's just my opinion as an outsider looking in and trying to put the pieces together. Certainly not privy to any conversations that um would have exactly, you know, given me particular gossip or anything to say that he's an egomaniac. It's just just my pure assessment of it. And everybody wants to leave a legacy. Alrighty then, it sounds like there's going to be a little bit of policy wars going on here, so we'll see what happens. Now, if you'll remember last episode, we talked a little bit about how there was a Danish rocket that they were attempting to launch, but it kind of didn't go. Now, it wasn't the most expensive rocket. It was a couple of thousands of dollars. About, I believe it was about $65,000. Regardless, they figured out exactly why it didn't work. And you know what it was? A hairdryer. Gene, do you want to explain that a little bit more? Yeah, the Copenhagen Post reported that a hairdryer that basically costs about 17 or $17.30 U.S. Uh, was essentially responsible for the failure of the, of the, the, the Tycho Brahe Heat, Heat 1X rocket to, uh, to fail last Sunday. Um, this... I mean, I, I almost, I almost was trying to to picture Rube Goldberg, if anybody remembers or everybody knows what, who I'm referring to with that. Rube Goldberg was a cartoonist that would go ahead and invent these elaborate machines to do really minor work. And I, I, I thought about this when I was thought about him when I was I, I was I was listening to this, but um, essentially a hairdryer. Is being was being used to keep a valve from freezing, but uh, due to some last-minute alterations, which the article really doesn't go into all that much, um, it it became necessary to uh, to power the hair power to the, this particular hair dryer was was cut off, and so the valve was allowed to freeze, and lo and behold, that basically just just stopped the whole gummed up the whole works. Um, it gummed it up so bad that they're saying now that according to the Copenhagen reports, there's post. I'm sorry. Um, they're saying that a second attempt at this will be made next June. So I don't know what the details are um, and how badly this this the failure of a seventeen seventeen dollar and thirty cent hair dryer caused this this rocket to, to really really get gummed up internally that that the that the whole thing is going to have to be rescheduled for for next june but i'll find i'll do some digging and find out maybe bring some more new news back but uh you know i i once again thought about uh, the old adage um that's racing where uh my brother-in-law who who races uh dragsters is always saying that it's always that one twenty-five cent part or that one twenty-five cent valve that's going to screw you up, and it's just going to ruin your whole day. So um, there you have it. That's that, and that's what happened to our Dan- Danish friends. Yeah, I just found the website with some interesting pictures and graphics of the uh, rocket, and 
you know, you got to be brave to attempt something like that, especially with the budget they had. So I'm looking forward to uh, another attempt and no doubt some improvements they'll make too. in the meantime. That's something that time gives you is the ability to refine things a bit and in the case of money, uh, you know, probably find some more sponsors. Indeed, and um, I am too. I, I'm, I'm wishing them all the best. I'm wishing them well. Just uh, the more folks, uh, the more sparing nations there are, the better. And uh, I'm sure they'll they'll work it out. And, and I look forward to the next attempt. In general, though, I'm I'm still wishing them success. Like you said, the more space-faring nations there are, honestly, the more advanced of a civilization we are as a whole. Because it's not, you know, this country versus that country. It's the world. Planet Earth that we're representing in space. Exactly. And the more knowledge, you know, the more knowledge we get from people doing, uh, rock, you know, doing space flight, the, it only goes ahead and, and contributes to to everybody's workable knowledge. So again, hats off to them. You know, it was a good try, and and I look forward to uh, to uh, to seeing to seeing them up there in uh, in next June. Hopefully sooner. Oh yeah, agreed. Just next time, tell them to spend the extra few bucks to get a good hair dryer. <laughs> I don't think it was the hair dryer. I think think it was think think it might it might have been what they were using to turn the hair dryer on. Well, then they should spend an extra couple of bucks to get a high power uh, outlet <laughs> or egg timer. <laughs> and with that, I believe that brings this episode to a close. So once again, I'd like to thank everybody for joining us here on the show. Thank you, Gene McCulka. Always a heck of a lot of fun, Sawyer. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Thank you as well, Mark Ratterman. Nice to talk with everybody and hear some good stuff. Indeed, and thank you as well, Gina Hurley. Oh, thank you, Sawyer. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Now, based on the comments that I saw on last episode's intro where I said Comquat, this time, I'm going to close it with something even more profound. I double dog dare you. Pineapple. I'm, <laughs> I'm looking. I'm going to have to stick the triple after you. <laughs> I don't know. You really got us with kumquat. That may be the uh, that may be the ultimate. But uh, I'll take pineapple until next week. Oh, then we're getting even further into the fridge. Regardless, have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be where you are. Thank you.